welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, I'm very excited to be joined by someone outside of PwC. We've got Daryl Scott here, who's just recently retired from the ISB. So I'm very excited. This is the life and times of Daryl Scott. That's what we're going to do today. Welcome, Daryl. Thank you, Ruth, and I'm looking forward to it. And I, I, I did check with Daryl, I was allowed to tell people this, but we were just, I said, oh, let's turn our cameras off. It will help with the sound quality. And he said, oh, good, because I'm going to clip the microphone to my beard. That's literally <laughs> made my day. So, <laughs> so I thought I'd share. They can all imagine that that's what, that's what you're looking like, Daryl. <laughs> one, um, one of the unexpected benefits of a beard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, right. Let's start at the beginning. A most important. Tell us a little bit about you and your career in accountancy. Thanks, Ruth. So, as you, I guess you know, and, and as you've just mentioned, I've just completed my second and now last term at the board. So, the last ten years have been pretty much standard setting as part of the ISB. Um, if I wind back the clock to before I came onto the board, I had what I guess is pretty much a classic preparer background, a uh, bit of auditing into a finance role, culminated in CFO at, at one of the South African banks. From a standard setting perspective, it's a slightly more convoluted trail. Um, I became involved in standard setting for the first time when South Africa went through a very testing implementation process with IS39. Uh, we implemented a couple of years before the rest of the world and before the standard was finally, finally finalized. And so I was given a mandate by my then boss to put some control levers on the ISB to try and slow down the progression of these new standards and made sure they understood our perspective. And then it was a bit of a progressive involvement. So I became involved in the South African Accounting Practices Board, then in ISB roundtables, then moved on to the Advisory Council, then IFRIC. And then finally, I think this culminated in, in being on the, on the board itself for the last couple of years. So it certainly was a bit of an accidental involvement in standard setting. Wow, brilliant. You've done almost everything. You've been you've been around everywhere in the ISB. That's fab. And back back when IS39 was there and it's already gone. So thinking about changes, <laughs> um, how have your perceptions of standard setting changed since you joined, like you said, the IFRIC and then the ISB? Uh, I guess you sort of follow and it, it follows a little bit of my journey into standard setting. So I think Coming out of a finance role, when I was in that finance role, I always pretty much knew what I wanted to achieve with accounting. And I pretty much figured in my own mind how the standards could be changed or interpreted to get the specific outcome that I had in mind. And I think as I became involved in things like roundtables and then IFRIC and then the board, there was a bit of a dawning realization of, of just how much more um, involved standard setting actually is. I think it's often the case that my own concerns were not unique but very often my desired outcomes were unique. And I think this process of sort of being involved in the comment letters and interpretations and actual standards has made me realize a lot more the importance in standard setting of the need to achieve consensus, to have compromises, and to hear all of the views about uh, perspectives from, from people outside of the organization, outside of my personal organization throughout that process. I guess looking back now, I think for me, the most critical thing that the board has to do is get those perspectives, understand those views um, and work hard to actually understand them and then to balance the views. And I think that that really was that sort of journey that I followed from my personal view to thinking much more broadly about other people's views. 
Brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I always like whenever we're writing a comment letter, I always think I want how is the board going to deal with all these different diverse views and then still come up. So I'm always in awe of how you all manage to do it, I must admit. Um, so over your time, how have you seen the way standard setting is done evolve? I think that's interesting because it's unquestionable that standard setting itself has changed, I think, over the last 10 years and probably over the last 20 years since, since we really got into this idea of a global set of standards. I think some of the changes that we see come through are what, what I would consider a natural consequence of how the perspective of, of IFRS has changed. We, we, we have now really a set of maturing standards, standards that have been around for a while that people have become very familiar with, and then new standards in, in that mixture. Um, we've got greater worldwide adoption of standards. Um, so clearly more and more people are coming into the IFRS family, bringing their companies, and again, their unique perspectives into, into this family. And then I think just generally the world has changed. Um, if we look at some of the types of companies that are out there, the globalization of company activities, uh, the broader um, conglomerates that have formed over the years, there's a lot of change in the way companies operate. And I think all of that kind of really makes it critically important for us to get, as, as you and I both mentioned, to get perspectives, to get all of these views coming in. So for me, probably the most important thing now in, in standard setting in, in, in more recent years has become the outreach activities we do. Getting out there, talking to people, talking to people in their own environments and their own comfort zones so we can really hear their perspectives and understand their perspectives. Um, and, and when I think about outreach, I, I tend to think about it perhaps a little bit broader than it's sometimes characterized, both by us and by outside parties. For me, it starts with this idea of problem definition, really understanding what is the issue that we're trying to resolve. And very often that's a two-way education process, us talking to stakeholders, stakeholders talking to us and us learning from each other and trying to narrow down the focus so we really understand what we are trying to solve and how we go about doing that. And then obviously the next step of that is, is starting to test ideas and proposals and, and, and bounce ideas off each other about how we might go about fixing this problem that we've now identified or, or solving for this issue that we've identified. And then I don't think outreach even ends there. I really think it's, it's equally important in an organization like ours that is essentially a public interest organization that we're also out there every day explaining our rationale making sure that people understand why we have made the decisions. And so for me, communication, communication, communication is really, really where the board needs to be. And it's it's all of us, the inputs and the outputs. Now, there is a, there's a counter to this, if you like, or there's a trade-off with this, because the more time we spend speaking to people and the more time we, we want to get responses from people, the more time a standard takes to process. And, and, and clearly we've seen over the last couple of years how standard setting processes are becoming longer and longer. But I think that's a necessary trade-off. If we want to be responsive, we need to be giving people time to respond. The other thing that I think is important is we need to be able to or be comfortable with, as a standard setter, changing our minds. As I said, the things out there are actually changing, circumstances change, and it's important that we're able, prepared and comfortable to change in response to that input that we're receiving. That's brilliant because we do, you know, I sometimes joke on these podcasts of like, oh, it's taking ages to get out. But I think that appreciation of, yes, you could move or the ball could move a lot quicker on things, but then you're not going to have, you know, a well, 
not even I loved how you lots that said you know define what the issue is like get the focus and then really discuss how you could do it differently and get the outreach in so that's really interesting um and obviously one of those outreach you do is you know with like us and uh, similar companies they are other audit firms just reflecting on that how you know tips for us how could we work better together what else what advice would you give us what do you see as the role of the audit firms so i think i think auditors and, and and maybe a little bit like but not completely like regulators actually have multiple roles when it comes to standard setting so it's, it's not as easy as characterizing one specific issue i think firstly and, and perhaps most obviously you have a direct interest in, in the standards that come out. And that, that direct interest is in things like verifiability, it's in things like complexity, because clearly you have a role to play when those financial statements are produced. And the way the standard is written, the requirements in the standard need to be conducive to you playing the role. But that's only your first interest. And I think that's perhaps the one that aligns with most of our other stakeholders. I think secondly, auditors and, and, and the audit profession has a real insight into businesses and, and industry activities and, and the economics of different businesses. Now, preparers can bring a lot of that to the table. They can talk about what those specifically are. But I think auditors give us an independent insight into um, that specific process, into those specific industries and what drives them and what the important metrics are in those industries. And then I think we sort of build into some of the things that are more unique to the audit industry. You've got a cross-industry view. So you're looking at telecoms and airlines and, and uh, insurers and banks and others. And I think that ability to look across industries is something we frequently don't see from many of our other stakeholders. So it's a really unique perspective that I think is incredibly helpful to the process. And then something that is really unique in, in, in particular to the audit firms, I think, is the ability to bring a cross-jurisdictional perspective to them. Mm -hmm. So not only are you now seeing across industries, but you're also able to compare the activities and the types of industries and the types of activities industries engage in across multiple jurisdictions. And again, I think that's an incredibly useful perspective uh, for us to get into um, the process that, that, that we go on with. A couple of points I would make on that. We, we place huge value, I think, in the capacity and skill set that the audit firms have. You've got some of the best technical skills working for you. And so the ability for us to interact in that space with really clued up, up-to-date people on all of these issues, I think, is particularly important. Through the audit process and through some of the other um, shall we say, debates that you have with some of your clients, I think you're also able to identify the concerns very early in the process, and I think that's a useful thing. And then as much as it's, it's an odd-sounding thing, I think you do bring a level of independence to the process. So you stand apart from what is the, what is the pure outcome economics of a, of a preparer, and you're able to sort of take that independent perspective of the industry, and I think that independence helps us as well. So a long way to answer your question, but I suppose for me the really important thing is that the engagement between auditors and IFRS is critically important, or IFRS Foundation is critically important because you are definitely one of the most important stakeholders in this process because you've got that breadth of view of, of, of all the different topics. And I think for us to just continue these types of interactions, but far more importantly, the types of interactions we have at the detailed level on standards is really important to the development of quality standards. Brilliant. And then moving maybe away from the audit firms and into, um, like you said, preparers, 
the preparers that are listening, any tips for them like on how to engage with the IFRIT, the ISB, if they're considering writing it in? So I'd, I'd start by saying it's, it's perhaps a common refrain you hear around perhaps voting in elections, is that mm -hmm. if you haven't exercised your right to vote, you really don't have, you almost lose some of the right you might otherwise have had to hold the government that's in power accountable. And I'd say there's an element of that that applies in standard setting. If you haven't exercised your right to provide us with your views, to provide us with insights from your business, you're losing out on the opportunity really to have those views reflected in the final outcome. And I think that for me is one of the most important things. You don't have to answer every question. You don't even have to answer most of the questions. But if you as a preparer can identify those that are particularly relevant, that are particularly problematic, or that are particularly um, important for people understanding your financial statements, then answer those questions and give us insight on those questions. And you, it's always better if you can provide us with examples, particularly when you're coming from a preparer environment, because it helps us understand the specifics of what you talk talking about. It's always better if you can provide us with suggestions, ideas of directions we might take. But for me, nothing is as important as just raising the flag and saying, hey, guys, I've had a look through some of these things, and this particular one bounces out as a little bit of a problem for us. And then we try to provide plenty of ways for, for preparers and other stakeholders, but in this context, preparers to engage with us. Letters, email correspondence, one-on-one -on -one meetings, roundtables, all of these are ways that you can make sure your view is being heard and that, that whatever your view is, we would have least considered by the time we come to sort of writing a final, a final standard. So I'd really encourage people to be involved. I'd really encourage preparers to be involved. I mentioned one other thing. We, we do very often when we go into perhaps a targeted discussion, and I think at the moment about one or two of the discussions that are happening around goodwill, where there's lots of aspects to, to, to the discussion paper we've put out. A few preparers have locked in on very specific topics. And when we do have that sort of correspondence from preparers and we set up a one-on-one -on -one to better explore your views, we tend to focus in on that topic as well so that we provide you with the opportunity to talk about the things you're interested in talking about and not necessarily have to sort of investigate the whole of the, of the breadth of any proposal we might have. That's really helpful because I you know sometimes I'm actually working on the discussion paper around the subsequent accounting of goodwill and you know there's a lot to it it's a big old document there's a lot of questions so I think even the fact there that as a preparer if you see one thing that you really are passionate about you know get engaging even if it's just on what that area you don't have to answer every question and um, like you said just making sure you've got your seat at the table got your view in there so Good. Maybe we won't respond to every question, Daryl. I'll suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that will work. <laughs> uh, and okay, so another a movie would so say that's really helpful to understand all the different sort of ways of engaging with the board. And another interesting thing, which I don't know if there's a right answer to, but what is your view on like board terms? So how long someone's a board member for? Uh, that, that's definitely an interesting question to ask me, uh, having just come off the board. And I, I think, <laughs> Do you I, think probably, <laughs> I, I think it's probably fair to say that that there's always the feeling that if I just had a little bit more time to finish this, or <laughs> I just had a little bit more time to be involved in that. And I think, 
certainly I would accept the, the, the upfront argument that says it would be useful to have continuity of board members over a project so that you're not sort of uh, having one board member handing the baton on to other board members. And I think, I think there's some argument for saying that as you spend time on the board, you acquire a certain amount of knowledge and at least some of that knowledge leaves with you when you leave the organization. But I think the contrary argument would be to say, firstly, we, we as an organization like ours, who, who are essentially writing standards for organizations out there, it's critical that we're not perceived to be an ivory tower, that we're not perceived to be independent, uh, be completely away from the details and, and, and incapable of, of involving ourselves in the detail. But also that that's more than a perception. The further removed you become from practice, the less in touch you are with real operational considerations and, and, and with new developments and new softwares and all those type of things, you just start to drift away from it. With all the outreach in the world, it's hard to actually put yourself in that space. So for me, the benefits of limited, and I'd add an extra word, staggered, board terms are really critical yeah. to the organization and staggered because you don't want the entire board leaving an entire new Everything. board coming in. You need that sort of stagger that means that some of the skill sets are being carried over and, and continued with. And I think the fact that that brings in new ideas and, and recent insights is just critical to what we do as a board. So don't misunderstand me. I really am sad to leave and I really am seeing it as, as a, a wonderful organization and a wonderful experience. But I think that board terms are really the only way that an organization like ours can successfully operate and successfully stay up to date. Yeah. And so getting towards the end of our time, ending on some positive things. Um, so you have come to the end of your time. But if you look back, I've got two part question here. What's your sort of personal success? And for my own interest, what is your favorite accounting standard? And then I'll tell you mine. <laughs> okay, so I, I mean, I've clearly enjoyed all the projects I've worked on, particularly those for me that have a direct impact on numbers. I'm very much a debits and credits type person. So those projects have been important. And, and working on projects, really the whole uh, from IFRS 9 all the way through 17, I think has been a big highlight to get those out the door, to get them done and finished. I've thoroughly enjoyed working on the IFRS for SMEs. I think it's a really important standard in our stable of, of products and, and I've enjoyed working on the, the support port material that we've put in place there. But I think for me, nothing compares to IFRS 17. Um, it has taken an incredible effort and energy from the board and staff. We've worked with an unbelievably engaged stakeholder base who followed every move we've made and, and, and stayed involved in everything. It's a complex industry. Uh, with 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 some very unique products and and responding to some very unique and and specific jurisdictional laws, so that's made a difference. We had a a very um, permissive temporary standard in place that allowed a whole lot of practice to, uh, to develop. So being able to deliver on that project over over the different stages has been an incredible. A uh, highlight for me in terms of my process at the board, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being part of the process of writing the standard, of, of having the debates and the arguments. I think for us as an organization, we will always see challenges coming through when there's diversity in stakeholder views or when there's complexity or uniqueness in products or where there are weaknesses in existing accounting. And, and insurance was very much a perfect storm. So I think all of that sort of contributed to both the challenge of working on it and the, the satisfaction of, of seeing it out there. Um, I, think, I think probably like any child, if, if, if you look 
look back at 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 at, at your baby you you look and say well there might be a few things that i would have done differently over time but i think i think it's probably my favorite standard and the one that i've enjoyed most being part of the process with i'm going to quote daryl scott i for 17 is his baby <laughs> 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 but you answered it all that's your favorite standard but my favorite don't well people that are listening will know is agriculture is 41 i love a I love a chat about agriculture not many people delve into that standard on a regular basis <laughs> and last question just because i'm nosy what's next for daryl scott um i'm certainly not somebody who does nothing very well so I, i'm i'm clearly going to be getting myself involved in in things going forward this is a very interesting time to be looking around at opportunities and and, and seeing what's up there um so I, I think the answer probably is i can't tell you right now but i can tell you there is going to be something and, and i'll certainly be getting into that in the next couple of months well, thank you so much, Daryl, for joining us. I could listen to you all day, but we've only got 20 minutes. So really appreciate it. Maybe when you've worked, you know, worked out what your next steps are, you could come back for a, another podcast at some point. And so thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to our listeners. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.